I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran. And this is Radio vs. the Martians. This month's single-serving selection, Columbo, Murder by the Book. Say, Casey, I, there's just there's one more thing that's bothering <laughs> I, I, me. I, I, I just don't understand. Can you clear this up for me? Yeah, just just one more question. <laughs> no, there's just one thing I don't I don't get. Uh, yeah, yeah, just just one more. Yeah. It's the most polite hammer drop that any <laughs> fictional character has ever have. And yes, of course, we are talking about Columbo, Murder by the Book, which is the pilot movie. Of the famous Peter Falk uh, played detective from 1971 in a remarkable star turn for a couple of people who one would become sort of movie royalty, another one would become TV royalty. Mm -hmm. We're talking about one of the first directorial, it was not the directorial debut, he did a couple episodes of Night Gallery. Of Mr. Steven Spielberg. I know, that's so crazy. <laughs> I, got, I hadn't realized that. That was a bit of a surprise when I saw like that. He's like five years away from doing Jaws at this point. You, of course, know him from Close Encounters, Raiders of the Lost Ark, like half a dozen other things. You, of course, know him from uh, everything. Ready Player One. Uh, just, <laughs> just do a whole control X over your childhood. Yeah. It's like that. That's what he did. Yeah. And written by Steven Bochco. Yeah. 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 <laughs> The, the same Stephen Bochco, L.A. Law, NYPD Blue, Cop Rock. Cop Rock. I'm yeah. glad you brought that up. This Cop Rock, by the way, if you're going to just pause this episode right now and look up Cop Rock, yeah. and I swear to God it's real, <laughs> I know about it from, and I think this is probably where you know about it too, um, folks, is the uh, jokes made about it on Mystery Science Theater 3000 back in the early 90s. I don't know what you're talking about. I saw the first two episodes of Cop Rock. Oh, I don't, I don't, wow. I don't know how many actually aired. So you're aired. the one. I don't know how many actually aired, but I loved it. I love that there is a, there's a musical, if they're all musicals, but there's a performance of a plastic surgeon, sort of a balding, Midwestern-looking uh, plastic surgeon who is like, he's singing about nip and tuck, boob lifts, like this whole thing, and he's like dancing around with the nurses in the room while there's somebody on the table. It's Brilliant! Yeah, it's you, amazing. And uh, so, uh, joining I, us not on Cop Rock, of course. Uh, no, not, wait, it's Cop Rock. Not, Cop Rock, not yet. Yes. Yes. Anyway, hijack the episode. <laughs> uh, joining us for this conversation about Columbo is our good friend, fan of Columbo. You're probably the biggest Columbo person that I know, which is weird because I haven't watched it in a very long time. But yeah, I I I, I forgot just how much I've I've uh, stolen. From that show, to be honest. <laughs> of course. So introducing the host of the Ask an Atheist radio show, Mr. Sam Mulvey. Thank oh, you, Sam. Hello. Hi. Good to be back. Thanks good for, to have th you. Thanks for hosting us in your your ample cathedral of a studio. <laughs> this is fantastic. Oh, well, the listeners may not know, but uh, you were like the, this, this is like the incubator. We were the little baby bird eggs yeah. in your studio for a few years. and uh, More than a few years. And this ship is being uh, decommissioned fairly oh. shortly. Oh, uh, no. It's like Star Trek VI. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is, um, uh, we're getting the... Um, the KTQA studio underway, oh, and nice. we're building actually two studios in in Tacoma. One specifically for recording and podcasting production, Whoa. and then one that's a live studio. And so, what what we would normally be doing here would then happen downtown. Cool, that's and, awesome. Uh, yeah, so that's exciting. And then in the other place will be live radio, so toilet flushes and you know, oh all that wow, stuff. and the Sunday was, the Friday morning fart song. Yeah, Friday morning <laughs> fart song. I was just gonna make a joke about how you draw a lot of water, and then of course you made a toilet joke afterwards. So they <laughs> went really well. But thanks, thanks. really well. <laughs> hey oh, <laughs> beer. <laughs> is this the Michael Winslow show? Are we just gonna start? We're gonna start doing Led Zeppelin with our mouth, you know? <laughs> So, Sam, we're talking about the, the pilot episode of a long-running mystery detective show uh, with Peter Falk. You yeah. might know him as the granddad from The Princess Bride. Mm -hmm. um, like I mentioned before, you are the biggest Columbo fan I know, yeah. uh, that I've had conversations about Columbo with you. Um, 
there's going to be a lot of young people that listen to this that haven't seen Columbo, aren't familiar with Columbo. If you had to sum up, you know, Columbo in general, but this episode in particular, what is this whole Columbo thing about? Uh, this episode in particular, um, it, it, uh, well, it actually, because it's very early in, in the run of Columbo, uh, it, it, it really defines a lot of aspects of it, is how to slow play smart people, basically. Yeah. I mean, that's that's really it, is is there's, there's for those of you who are, are, are you know, uh, totally children uh, of the 21st century, um, there's a lot of this that isn't going to be, that, that is going to become kind of weird in that... Columbo doesn't show up for a huge chunk of the movie. I checked yeah. the clock. It's like 19 minutes into the episode. Yeah. And how long is the episode? It's like... like one bef- hour 15, I think. One fifteen. Yeah, that's that's yeah. without commercials. So this yeah. is like a 90 minute with commercials thing. Right. Yeah. Um, where, uh, um, you know, it's not a murder mystery uh, because, well, it's not a murder mystery to you because uh, one of the things about, about these kinds of shows is that you follow the the uh bad guy the the antagonist more than you do uh Columbo. The killer's almost the main character in episodes of Columbo. Right. Where you follow them a lot more, Columbo shows up and you know more about what the killer's thinking than yeah. what Columbo's thinking. Yeah. So you follow you you follow the killer through through the crime and a little bit after the crime and then you you follow the victim's wife for a while and then the victim the victim's wife goes to the uh, goes to the uh, the the place where the crime supposedly occurred, and she's being interviewed by two like cops who you think, okay, well, this is where the police procedural start part, part stops up, and they're taking pictures of evidence, and they're doing like really focused pictures of evidence, almost like it's foreshadowing something, mm-hmm. and then she's just like, I gotta get out of it, and and then she walks out and fails to get a drink of water, and in <laughs> saunters this guy, yeah, he's not. There's there's no music, there's no introduction, there's no backstory, there's no origin. He just he literally just barely walks saunters in the frame and go, uh, "Hey, dude, uh, yeah, these things never work. Let's go get a coffee or something." Right. And you'd think, you know, in a modern movie, because you have no context for this person, you'd think you'd think that this guy would be the like an extra or or a character that they might do a TV show about in ten years or, or something like a like funny that. uncle. A funny yeah. uncle? No, this guy ends up being the whole show. Yeah, he's the the hero, and there's something unassuming about him that he's incredibly affable. He's yeah. like, ah, hey, ma'am, I, uh, you know, how you doing? You, you don't want to mess with that. These things are always out of order. Yeah. And he kind of looks like you just overturned a clothing hamper and poured a human being out of it, <laughs> where he's he's very frumpy. He's wearing a suit. I think the top button of his jacket is undone, so yes. his tie is kind of hanging out. He's got this, this rumpled up trench coat. Um, he always looks a little bit frazzled and it's, it's the, the thing where you think that this guy is like, oh, this guy's going to solve the mystery. Is this going to be like a Clouseau sort of thing mm. where he bumbles around and, and the bad guy just kind of fails out of frustration and. To the bad guy, you think, yeah, this is what I'm in. I'm in the Pink Panther. Yeah. I'm dealing with this guy. And you're just like, because you're following the bad guy. And the bad guy's committed this crime. And it seems like he's got this locked down. And this guy shows up and starts touching your stuff. And he's asking you a lot of questions about things that don't seem to matter. He's like, oh, yeah, talking about gardening. And he's, oh, my wife's always telling me to stop doing drinking coffee. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and, and like... The first major act of the of the the protagonist in this TV show is failing to make eggs. Yes, like yeah. that's that that's his introduction. Right. Is is like the first thing he does is ah, I want to get some bad coffee. Um, well, let's go to your house and and maybe like you know maybe he shows up. Maybe he's, maybe he's part of it. But it when you try to watch it without previous context you have no idea who this guy is. Right. Then the next scene and he's failing to make eggs and like. Wait, this is the <laughs> this is the hero. This is the hero. Like he never stands up straight. He never he never like looks. And this is so weird from a 1971 perspective. Yeah, where you've got shows like Dragnet or or uh, Perry Mason or something like that. Stalwart hero guys, like stalwart hero guys who are right. ramrod straight, right, right, uh, straight out of the McCarthy playbook. And and like and this guy just looks kind of not 
not all there. He's yeah. just not not really paying attention to you. I mean, but that's and of course that is his superpower, right? Is right. that everyone underestimates him, including you, the audience, for the first time. But what I didn't know about this because I have only known him by osmosis. I didn't watch this the first one, Mike. Is that this is. I would coin it like an inverted police procedural Mm -hmm. because you were not guessing out of the six people that show up as guest stars in the episode who's the murderer we know from the beginning. And the clues are just the things that the clues that lead you to the end are just the things that Columbo spots the mistakes that the killer makes. And so you you can still be on the lookout for what the what the important things are, but they're usually going to be something that he's going to go up and be like, "Ah, but there's one more thing. Why did you open up your mail? If you just called the police, you know, like yeah. that's sort of yeah, thing. and it's, it's those little things because these guys are just like, oh my god, this guy keeps showing up at my fucking office, and he's touching my stuff, and he's talking to me about <laughs> something he heard on the radio, and talking to me about something his wife said, and meanwhile he's paying attention to you in a way that you don't realize. You think you're dealing with this dopey guy who's getting increasingly annoying, and there's that moment again, that question in every Columbo episode, and that's the bit where the killer realizes they're dealing with a. Small guy it's an oh shit moment well this one's interesting in that the, the 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 killer doesn't really get it towards like the end yeah um no and- he he does the the mistake of i think this is the boston strangler the tony curtis movie where the through line is basically people would rather be polite than be safe and and or alive yeah and the, the killer has this problem in this where he's just sort of like do you mind if i hang out and he's like well sure he's he could just be stern and refuse yeah. but he to his detriment yeah. he chooses to keep letting him come back and allowing him to come in and and they could because he thinks the killer thinks that he's smarter than columbo so yeah, everyone I, I'm trying yeah. to avoid details because I don't know if we want to spoil Let, it. We're or, spoiling yeah, this whole, okay. Let's right. just do the whole thing. So the opening is is uh, it starts with a writer and he's he's writing and there's uh, typewriters, uh, typewriter noises and there's something that I I forgot from television the big yellow font TV yes. font yeah with the the copyright date with yes. the copyright date yeah. Roman like, numerals oh, yeah wow okay this is definitely television. <laughs> um, and and it goes on, and then uh, the guy who looks a little bit like Brad from Rocky Horror Picture Show, uh, the victim. Um, <laughs> he does look like Brad. Yeah. Brian ba- ba- Bosworth? No. <laughs> not not um, that one. Uh, he opens the door, and there's a guy pointing a gun at him, and he's like, oh, come on, it's not loaded. Na-da-da. Your finger's not on the trigger. Your finger, yeah. You're not wearing gloves. Yeah. The really cool thing with that? is that you think we're walking right into the murder. Like, we're not even going to waste time. We're going to go right into Blam without explanation. But he's just playing. He's just playing with him. (laughs) And you can tell that he's he's a mystery writer because of, like, the stupid... And here's like sort of the when I was talking earlier about the anti uh, uh, the anti nostalgia is remembering how on the nose television direction was in the 70s and oh, 80s. Oh, he's got a model 90s. skull on his desk. He's, he's yeah. got a model skull on his yeah. desk and, a, and jaws and and a picture of a lady. And it was like, oh, yeah, you're clearly a mystery writer. I get it. Mystery writer. <laughs> yeah. And and so this guy shows up um Who's some somebody I remember, but I don't remember his name. Uh, Jack Cassidy. Jack yep. Cassidy, right. Uh, also, by the way, Jack Cassidy, he's not the only person who's done that, was the killer on Columbo three separate times playing different characters. <laughs> William great. Shatner was a killer on Columbo more than once. So there's a lot of little things like that. I Johnny Cash was a killer on Johnny Columbo Johnny Cash once. was a killer. I found that Leonard Nimoy was a killer was a yeah. killer on an episode, so I tried to like find that episode and I he's couldn't find it. He's an evil doctor. It's yeah. actually really cool. <laughs> um, and, and so... You you watch the setup of of the crime. Yeah. Where what what happens is that they're they're a team of writers who write mystery novels, but the truth is one of them writes it and the other one just is just kind of coast who used to write but is now just kind of coasting on fame and fortune. And this guy is just a, This is basically how I mooch off of Casey. Right. <laughs> It's the opposite. <laughs> I do have an insurance policy on Casey. Right. And the, you want to go hunting, Casey? <laughs> and like the writer is is the writer is clearly writing. He's got Coke bottle glasses. Mystery writer, eh, 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 you know, um, where the where the 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 killer shows up in like a fancy car and he's all dressed up with like a mock turtle and stuff like that, like seventies to death. Mm-hmm. Um, That's an amazing jacket. He's got it's on. an amazing jacket. Yeah. I'll admit. Um, and. Uh, uh, he watches. Oh, and did you notice that he's writing the mystery novel in all caps? He yeah. is, he like, is. A, like a screenplay. Yeah. I, yeah, I think this is one of those things too. I mean, not only are are typewriters more 
cinematic. Oh, yes. There's also a typewriter. Yes. The typewriter. <laughs> Again, this is the 1970s. Yeah. Um, that really gets into a lot of that. There's a lot of stuff you might not recognize in this, like payphones. Yeah. Um, but it is all, all caps. Uh, but I think also it's easier to read if you're you're watching it as a movie. These are these little things that you do in film that don't really make sense in reality, but they make sense because it that font just looks better when yeah. you type in all caps. The poor editor who has to fix that for the book later. <laughs> so, so he doctors he doctors the office. You know, there's the picture of the skull and I'm oh, sorry, mystery writer with glasses and a skull made me think of Darth Marenghi's Dark Place a little bit. Um, this, this show is unfortunately not as funny as it's, dark, it's not as funny, but it's, it's good. Yes, it's, it's really good. Yeah. good. yeah, and so he leaves the lighter so that he has something to pick up later, and he has it. He has the victim fondle paperwork so his fingerprints are on it. And then uh, that was the thing I was curious about. I didn't think you could leave fingerprints on paper. Can you? You can. Oh, wait. I suppose so. Oh it's man, just oil. I got to th- think very carefully about crimes I've committed. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> I actually wrote down a nine point. This is how his crime works. Oh, because I had to lay this out. I'm like, okay. First, I wanted to figure out how did he do this? What was he setting up? How did he execute it? And then I also wanted to think about whether this would work in a 21st century context. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, obviously, pay phones, like cell phones ruin everything. This is why a right. lot of things take place in the 80s in movies nowadays. Yeah. So um, the way I have it is these, are, these guys um, had a falling out. The guy who isn't really the writer and just shows up on talk shows and takes half of the money. Um, he's getting dumped. Yeah. That the other guy wants to do a solo career. Right, he calls it a divorce. He calls yeah. it a divorce. Yeah, he does. Yeah. And um, this other guy's like, well, fuck, I need this money. I've, he's got a very expensive lifestyle. He, he sleeps with a lot of younger women. He's got a cabin. He's got a lot of expensive art. And uh, because they're a writing team uh, and they rely on each other for money, there's an insurance policy in case one of them has an untimely death. But you don't find out about the insurance policy until much later. Until the hot dogs. Yes, the hot dogs. <laughs> I really want to talk about the hot dog yes. scene. Okay. So um, from a from a real quick uh, bullet point. Okay. So um, Ken, that is the writer who showed up with a gun, who is not. He's the killer. He's, yeah. He's the one who's not really writing. Shows up at his estranged writing partner Jim's office in L.A. Uh, wants to reconcile and says, "Hey, come down to me." Uh, to my cabin in San Diego, we can fish and we can drink and we can have a great time. I want to bury the hatchet. Uh, then Ken pretends, to, like you mentioned the lighter, pretends to leave something behind so he has an excuse to go upstairs so he can rough up the office and, office and make it look like there's a struggle. And deposit evidence. Deposit evidence, evidence because he has a note that he plants. Right. Uh, three, uh, Ken drives Jim down to his cabin in San Diego, but he first stops at a general store and plants the alibi that he's going to his cabin alone. Mm-hmm. He makes a phone call uh, from the payphone at the general store to Jim's wife and says, Hey, I just want to let you know uh, we're reconciled. Um, don't tell Jim because I think he wants it to be a surprise. But I just want to know everything's cool between us. And she's like, Oh, okay. And hey, if any, you need anything, I'm at my cabin. Right. Alibi. <laughs> Um, meanwhile, Jim is waiting in the car. Uh, he goes back out. Um, basically, uh, Jim and uh, Ken, Ken drives him to his cabin and says, oh, hey, I can see you feel guilty for running out on your wife. I know you had plans tonight. Um, give her a call. But you know what? I can tell you're an honest guy who's never cheated on his wife before. You know, call using a direct line because that was a thing at the oh, time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, no. He starts. He goes, "Hello, operator," and he slams the phone down. And says, "No, don't use an operator." Yeah, direct gonna, dial. If you're gonna do this, if you're gonna lie to your wife, which you clearly have never <laughs> yeah. done before, there's a good reason for that. That makes sense in the con, but you have to know how old phone systems work in order yeah, to understand right. what was happening there. Right. He had to be told his own area code. That's how old this is. Yeah. So um, he ca- he has Jim call his own wife and say, hey, I'm working late today, honey. By the way, I'm at my office. Everything's cool. I'm just burning the midnight oil. I just, I got to get this stuff done. And in the middle of that phone call that Jim's wife thinks is happening from the office, Ken shoots Jim Yeah. so that she can hear the gunshot. Then he, uh, then of course, Ken just waits because his, uh, Jim's wife is going to call him at the cabin and go, oh, what, what? I'm, I'm sure it's nothing. I'm going to come down right away. There's my alibi. 
Uh, then he drives the body back to um, L.A. in his trunk, um, later waits for the police investigation to get underway, and then dumps the body on his own lawn because the note that he left in the office implies that there's a, this is a mafia hit because Jim's into something. And that this body must be a warning to him to stay off of whatever Jim is working on. And that's his big elaborate thing that the mob did it. Right. So <laughs> what what are the parts of this that might not work in the 21st century? Well, well, I mean, first establishing the alibi by placing a phone call. Like, it's clear now that if you got a, if you got a uh, warrant, you could just pull the cell phone the cell phone data and you would know yeah so you can't establish an alibi that way that actually stopped really functioning being an al- uh, alibi uh not long after this episode was aired because mm. uh like for now everybody's got phones everywhere you can make a phone call from anywhere so you're not establishing that you're anywhere as an alibi by just making a phone call right um but um Part of the reason why the direct dial was important was that if he went through an operator, there would have been a person who knew that he was making a phone call from the cabin, from a cabin, or at least from somewhere that was not his office because it wasn't a direct dial call. Right. Mm-hmm. It went through a person. Nowadays, all phone calls are logged. So uh, because we, you know, we live in the Panopticon now. Yep. So, yes. uh, so so it doesn't matter where he was calling from or where he was calling to. The locations would have been known. And all you would have to do is, is subpoena the, the phone records and then that's done. But in the context of this show, that actually kind of worked because not every we didn't have the capacity to log every phone call at the time. Right. Yeah. This so, was a lot more analog back in the day. Yeah. But that was the thing, too, is I I just kept thinking, this is actually pretty ingenious, what he set up, because he's basically established, hey, I'm at my cabin near San Diego when my partner or my ex-partner is shot, because it's so obvious. This guy has the biggest incentive to kill Jim. Yeah. There's, he's the one who's going to get a big insurance settlement from his partner dying, because I don't even think at this point they've gone public with the fact that their writing team is breaking up. No. Hmm. And the the fact that when Columbo talks to um, Joanne, that's that's the victim's uh, wife, she's the one that brings up that, you know, her husband did all the writing. That's that's the first part. That's a conversation where you can see Columbo without telling the audience or really hinting that hard to the audience has kind of figured this out. And the rest of the episode is just about proving it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because what's really great about this and what I thought made it really fantastic as a drama thing is that it's not at no point does 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 Peter Falk go, oh, yeah, he uh, they're, they're breaking up. This is this is why it's happening. There's no there's no exegesis. There's no mm. you know, the, he never stops and says, well, this is why what's going on. He, well, it's at one point on. he does say something like, oh, I know I know that it's him and I just have to well, prove he, it. But he does but, it at the end. That's, yes, at but, the end. But, but that's where we're just about ready for him to jacuse. Well, you know? that, that's like. In in sort of the formula of Columbo, there's like the part where you're kind of you have to pay attention to figure out where he's going with it. Mm-hmm. It's not particularly hard because it's television in the 20th century, but right. it's still pretty good. And then the con like when he starts talking to the victim's wife or mm-hmm. he starts talking to somebody that moves into the second phase where he goes, I have an idea. Let's go do it. <laughs> and but the thing is, is. Uh, his the victim's wife Joanne, mm-hmm. right? Uh, says, uh, "Well, they were going to break up, and well, I mean, I don't want to talk about it because it'd be bad." And 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 you know, you know, Columbo's like, "Well, like you, you could tell he's like, oh, tell me more." But he's like, "Well, I could understand how that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people are people are people are like that. But but could you tell me a little bit more?" He's like, "Well, he does all the writing, and you don't hear about that." Yeah, like. It's the fact that Columbo says nothing about that that's important. It's the lack of information that's important. Even when he's not dealing with the killer, this is a guy who holds his cards super close, even from the audience. Yeah. And that's something I really love and what I think makes Columbo age really well is that you're not in Columbo's head. You don't know necessarily what he knows or what he's pieced together, but there's enough there given to the audience that you're looking at the same stuff he sees that you can sort of piece it together, too, um, and showing, okay, I think he knows about this part of it. But it's never been a mystery to us because, in a lot of ways, the protagonist is the murderer. Mm-hmm. That the murderer, right. you know right. more about his motivations. You can see him move to cover up his crime. You can see him set up his alibi. 
And what I kind of love with this is this is one of the most perfect executions of Columbo v. Hubris. And that's what this right. show is always about. Right. Well, yeah. yeah. And that, and uh, so the the uh, the murderer. Ken. Ken. Um, he's uh, he's uh, he's presenting himself as a as as a smart and intelligent mystery writer who knows all about these things. He's so smug and he's so smug about it. And uh, Columbo's like, well, I don't get it. Uh, like I, you're, you clearly know more about this stuff than me. And Ken's like, well, yes, of course. It must, uh, you know, let me show you something. Like, oh, well, here, I found it. I found the evidence. Right. Oh. It's a list of hired killers. He was going to go do something important. This is the important thing that he was doing. See, my man, it's very simple when you have a mystery writer to who who can help you solve these things. Yeah. And the piece of information that is not disclosed but is known to all parties, and the the Ken doesn't know that is. We all know he doesn't do the writing. Yeah. And and uh Columbo's just like, "Oh, I see." Columbo's so good at playing dumb. Yeah. He just comes like he acts like such a dope and lets this smug guy sashay all over the place <laughs> while re- exposing himself. And that's the thing is that this is again the hubris of Ken in this episode is that Ken is so fucking up his own ass. Yeah. That he can't help. He's got the Walter White disease. Okay, yeah. That, that sure, Walter White, sure. of course, in Breaking Bad, is somebody who is incredibly smart, but he has a fragile ego, and he he can get away with a crime, but it drives him crazy because he doesn't get credit for it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the way Ken is, is that Ken could just wait for the police to find that list of mafia hitmen on it and just let it play out. It's like, dude, you won. Yeah. Fucking stop. <laughs> Is it enough for you to win and get away with the perfect murder and wait for the cops to find this and go, wait, this is mafia hit, man. You know, it's going to take weeks, but you don't get to giggle about the thing that you planted. But he just gets, he wants to be smug and going, oh, well, I write these, you know, Mrs. Melville mysteries. And because I write a brilliant crime solver, I must also be a brilliant crime solver. It's actually kind of funny because it is, it is the Walter White disease. But in this case, it's sort of the, it's the inverse of the Walter White thing is that Ken gets credit for being a, cre- uh, a a mystery writer. He's the guy who's doing all of the interviews and getting on television and lives the lavish writer lifestyle. But he knows he's not the one who's actually writing. And that that sticks at his craw, especially when the writer's like, the guy who's actually doing the writing is saying, I want to be alone. He's like, oh, great. The, cra- the gravy train is coming to an end. Yeah. And... Um, and and so he's sort of bothered by his own phoniness. So he plays it up big so time. So he plays it up big like when he has the opportunity when he constructs his own his own murder mystery by killing a guy, he wants to play it up. He wants to he wants to like laugh at his behind his, you know, behind his face and and go like, "Oh yeah, haha, I have the perfect I've done the perfect crime." Look at this dope I'm leading around. Yeah. Realizing he's being lettered. That's that's the magic of Columbo, folks, is that <laughs> he he's just like, whoa, I I hadn't thought of that before. And he's just and you can see Columbo, if you've watched enough of Peter Falk in his performance and he's fucking brilliant, you can see him going, Oh, I got this guy. <laughs> I got this guy. I just have to go, oh man, I I got a lot of work to do with this list. <laughs> this is wow, wow. And 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 if if I have any questions, I can come back right in. He's just giving himself the freedom to return, and only occasionally does he let it list. And there's sort of the five stages of grief if you're a Columbo killer. <laughs> <laughs> the first one is smugness. Yes. And then then you go through oh ha ha, and then there's annoyance because yeah. this guy won't leave. Then there's panic because you realize this guy is actually really smart. And then the rest of it is you sloppily trying to clean up your own mess while this guy circles the net around you. Yeah. And but it's that moment. It's usually the uh, just one more thing that's bothering me. That's the <laughs> moment where he shows a little bit of his hand, but not everything to this guy. They go, oh, shit, he's not an idiot. I'm <laughs> but and, it usually it takes re- repeated. It takes repeated exposures to that. Uh, I know you're busy. I know you're a busy person, but I got I got one more question, and I know it's dumb, but uh, uh, you read your mail, or yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. two bottles of champagne, yeah. or uh, I, you know, I found this, and there's this one scene. This is probably my favorite moment in this entire episode. It's one of the few scenes where Columbo shows up on his own, investigating, without either Ken or Joanne, the victim's wife, there, and it's him talking to an insurance agent. Yes. 
And what I love about this scene is he's doing the same. He does the same routine with everyone, and it's fucking brilliant. Is he shows up and he buys this insurance guy a hot dog, and <laughs> and oh, I wish I would have wrote down the name of the. Is it like little bit of dog or something? The name of this little tiny little building shaped like a hot dog. Yeah, it's great. We, we yeah. need more of this stuff. Tail we, of the dog or something, something like that. Yeah. It's like when you see a donut shop and there's a giant donut shaped sign in 3D. We need more of this stuff in our advertising. Yeah, folks. it's like what's the name of the the place in in and there, there's a place like that in Tacoma. Uh, the Java Jive. Yeah. yeah. That's a giant yeah, teapot. It's, it's a giant teapot. Yeah. It's a bar. No tea is served there. But <laughs> It's a giant teapot. <laughs> it's a giant teapot. <laughs> I love that. So he goes to the giant hot dog shaped hot dog uh, stand <laughs> and he wants to ask questions about this insurance policy that Ken took out on Jim who he killed. And the guy's just like, oh, well, uh, you know, we, we, we want to cooperate with the police, but, and he's just like, oh, oh I, I, I don't want to be in any trouble, so I can just get a court order. And it's this brief moment where you see him use fucking teeth, and you're like, you see this guy go, oh, shit. But it's, yeah, he, he's not offering, he's not offering, what I like about that scene is he's not offering the court, court order as a threat, really. Yeah. I mean, it is a threat. He's because, just, but he's like, ah, you know, I understand that. You got to do things by the book. It's, should I get a court order? Yeah. He's like, I, I want to do this so you don't have, if I get a court order, your boss won't be angry. The, the, yeah. This, that would make it easier for you, right? And, yeah. the, and, the, and the insurance guy's like, no. <laughs> I love the look on that guy's face because you don't get to see Columbo. Columbo knows how to drop the hammer, but he does it in such a fun, affable way yeah. that it doesn't come across to anyone else like he's dropped a threat. I keep trying to, to, to watch this as if I hadn't, like, grown up with Columbo just sort of around me. It's like, uh, I, I really like I really like the older stuff, like the old episodes of Columbo, but I never really sat down to watch it just because TV was so ever-present in my house, mm-hmm. is that I never had to, like, seek Columbo out. Just Columbo, right. I'd sit down and then Columbo would be on. Um, and uh, And so, like... It wasn't. It was sort of direct us. It was osmosis from the source. But that's how I kind of became a fan. And I didn't really realize I had become a fan until later in my life, where I had stopped watching television. I was like, oh, you know, I kind of miss Columbo. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so I'm trying to watch it as somebody who who uh, uh, hasn't seen it before, and Columbo does not seem very intelligent. Like he's asking no. really stuff. He asks like the solid questions, but he never like. There's no gotcha moment. Like, hey, uh, uh, so you read your mail after you called in the cops? Weren't you right. a little? Weren't you a little like? If I found my friend's dead body, I body. guess I. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. Maybe I, that's just me, maybe, but I never would open my letters. Yeah, he makes excuses, and then it doesn't seem to go anywhere. And you're like, what's up with this guy? <laughs> just, I know Columbo, so I know it's coming. But I'm yeah. like, if you if this is the first time you've watched it. Uh, then it's it's something you haven't you know it's like he's asking a bunch of questions that like if he thought about them for a second they might hang together but he's not asking any follow up questions so I don't know what's going on so you have no idea how smart Columbo is until oh, yeah. the very first conversation he has with uh with Ken Ken's like oh I know Ken sandbags him yeah uh, by going well here you want to learn. Uh, and Columbo's like, oh, I'm not very good at these mysteries or anything like that. <laughs> I, I never not, figure these I things out. I never figure these things out. Like, oh, well, let me let me help you. And he sends <laughs> Columbo so with ridiculous. like three feet of books of yeah. their books. <laughs> like, so he basically gives them all of their books. He's like, well, here, here's something for you to read. And like three or four scenes later, Columbo shows up during an interview with uh with, with, it's like a TV lady. With a TV lady. And he's got all the books. And he's like... <laughs> Oh, I read all your books. They're oh, let me tell you, they're great. And you're like, you read all of those? <laughs> yeah, dude is a secret genius. Like um, I, I yeah. read fast. I'm a pretty fast reader. I am not that fast. He and, reads like Johnny Five. Yeah, <laughs> and he catches all, and he's like, oh my god, and he just he wants to talk to him about the books, and it's like, how do I make a nuisance of myself that just keeps showing up? and bothering you. Yeah. Meanwhile, I can look at how you work under pressure and I can also try to pull stuff out of you because your guard is down because you think I'm a dope. And he genuinely likes the books. Yeah. Now, yeah. he knows sure. that the victim didn't write or the, the, the victim wrote him, not, not Ken. Uh, so his jet, you know, he can be genuine about this. But this is a common theme with, with Columbo that I think makes it really good is that he is just a beat. You know, he's just a uh, uh, homicide cop. You know, he doesn't make a ton of money. 
Um, but one of the themes of the Columbo series is that he investigates smug people. He investigates high class people. Oh yeah. And so he's like, "Wow, this is a nice place. Do you think I could vacation here?" And, <laughs> and no, you, you couldn't afford it. And I'm like, okay. I saw your car outside. I saw your yeah. car outside. Actually, uh, in this episode. That's a nice car. That is a nice car. It's a nice car in this episode. The thing about this car is it's the only car in the entire for the entire 30 year run of the show. (laughs) Yeah. And so when I first saw that it's a Peugeot, when I first saw it, I'm like, oh, that's in real good shape. Yeah. Wow. I I thought maybe he's got it ratty, but no, it starts kind of nice to the point where he's trying to protect the paint job of the car. Yeah. But as the series progresses, it gets beat up and ratty and he doesn't give a crap about it. And (laughs) I love that part. What what I kind of love is the thing that really screws up Ken and his murder plot here is that the general store lady has a crush on him. And one of the things that I was thinking about could have screwed up this whole plot is that when he's... Bringing the he he brings her an autographed copy of their latest book, which is called Prescription Murder, which I found out is the name of the first Columbo TV movie, <laughs> which is a really cool little Easter egg. Um, also, is that the name of the Dick Van Dyke mystery show? Is that Prescription Murder too? That was diagnosis Murder. Diagnosis Murder. <laughs> Close but not. Quite. I had forgotten about that. Dick Van Dyke also um, of Columbo Murderer at one point. Yes. Oh, nice. Um, so he brings her this autographed book as part of his alibi of Hey, I'm coming down here alone. He, she's not very good at hiding the giant crush she has on him, and uh, he probably gets a discount on groceries and stuff like that, and she's always seeing him bring this young lady or that young lady down, and um, the thing that screws up his case is that at some point she gets curious and looks out the window and sees that Jim's in the car, and she tries to blackmail him, and what's interesting is she's still incredibly guileless that she thinks that she can extort money from a murderer. Yeah. And still be his friend and still have a romantic evening with a guy that she just tried to extort 15 grand from. And that's when he gets his sloppy murder. (laughs) (laughs) But he just beats her to death with a wine bottle, doesn't he? Yeah. With one of the wine bottles, uh, champagne bottles. And that was the thing, too. Columbo says at the end in the summation, when he finally drops the hammer on this guy, he's like, oh, the first murder was great. And what I love is that Columbo, when he's doing his parlor scene, where he tells you everything that he knows, he's like, you know, I thought you got me. I (laughs) really did. It's like, I knew it was you from the beginning, but I thought you got me. And it's like, the first murder, that was beautiful. That was was a murder. That had to be something that your partner came up with. But the one at the end that's sloppy, that one was all you. (laughs) (laughs) And I love that. And what I love is the reaction of the killer when he knows he's caught. He's like, and he smiles. He goes, I almost got you, didn't I? (laughs) And he's just like, like that moment of just like him going like, it's almost like he knows he's fucked, but he's just like, oh man, this thing was good. And like yeah. he said, this was actually my idea. Well, that that's part of it too. Yeah, that's the, that was the twist. Is the the is the the murder is at the end. Uh, Columbo goes, well, I knew you weren't or you didn't write the books. You're not a good you're not a good mystery guy. You don't know how to do a perfect crime. So I figured you probably went to somebody who did know how to do it. The guy you killed, your yes. partner, your partner knows how to murder people. And I and I thought about it and it's and here's one of his notes because he wrote the 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 victim wrote a lot of notes. Like every time he had an idea, he would write it on just any piece of paper. And so you can see Columbo like going through pieces of paper throughout the episode, reading things while he's putting his feet up and smoking a cigar at the victim's house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> And, he, and he's like, yeah, and see, it's a, it's this, it's it's this, it's this is this is the victim's idea, and you executed it to a T. Yeah. And then there's and in the Columbo shows, there's always usually a little bit of a twist. And in this case, it's well, that was actually my idea. I can't believe that asshole wrote it down. Yes, and, that, and that's <laughs> yeah. what screwed him. Yeah, it's the fact that he wrote it down. It's like he said, the one good idea he ever had. Yeah. If he had just held on to this and made it a book. Oh, another thing that wouldn't work uh, nowadays is in technology. It's in the show. Ken is suave, debonair, dresses nice, is weird at women. Yeah, that he really was, is. That was considered, like, okay, and that was, like, that made him a person of stature. Condescension. Yeah. the, the kind of <laughs> Right. It, it, it wouldn't care. It wouldn't work. Like, everybody, like, he might still have that position in society, but everybody behind the scenes would be like, oh, that guy probably skins children. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. in, in his in his spare time. Like, I, he, there's no way he doesn't have like a secret stash of like hamster smash porn or something like that. <laughs> um, where where even the body being dumped on his lawn would not deter people. Yeah. Like they're like, no, you're a scumbag. Yeah. We know you did it. He's clearly a creep. Yeah. And I think Jack Cassidy is so good at those. That moment where he's being blackmailed and he's smiling, but he's got murder in his eyes and he's just like, that was so good. I'm going to kill this lady. So I don't know (laughs) if, is this a pattern for the later killers in the Columbo series? But, uh, the one thing that, uh, that the, the murderer, um, it's Ken, right? Yeah. Ken and Jim is that he, he basically seems totally not guilt stricken of course he's not guilt stricken because he's a sociopath right but he does not even try to feign any grief over the fact that a guy who was his friend for decades um sure they had a falling out and that should have weighed on him but i mean was murdered uh, do, do all of the all of the murderers have this thing where they're just conspicuously not upset at who's at who's been murdered and therefore that makes it easy for you to be like okay well this is clearly a remorseless killer i don't want to get too political but there's something very uh uh, Karl Marxian about yes. Marxist about this is yeah. that is that um, you, Columbo is the working class. He is right. the worker. You know, he you know the, the the proletariats or whatever, and he's always working in places like that's a theme of the show is that he's always working for for or he's always always investigating people who are high class, upper class, elite people. Uh, like he does one show, like there's one, one episode where he's literally like, he's somebody at Mensa is murdered. So he's dealing with a bunch of people who are, who are self-described geniuses and they're all being geniuses at him. Uh, there's the one with Leonard Nimoy where Leonard Nimoy is like a super, uh, a super surgeon. There's a, another one where it's like a, 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 t- a talk show guest. Uh, yeah, the bad guys are the elite. Yeah. They're always hmm. high class stuff. And that's part of it is, is. Part of the joke is that Columbo goes is like is totally taking advantage of the fact that he's investigating somebody who has way more money than he does and just completely takes advantage of that fact. Oh, can I try that? <laughs> yeah, I'll have some. Or like in this point, it's like, uh, would you have something to drink? Yeah, I'll have some bourbon. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, he does. Oh, that's that is a that is a trope for detectives uh, that is 70s. always like, no, I'm on duty, and yeah. it's like, oh, great, I'll take a drink. Yeah, nice, yeah. Columbo. But yeah, good. He always just kind of saunters into this place where he's incredibly out of his depth he looks like he's out of his depth he acts like a tourist he's like oh wow yeah look at this thing is, is that real yeah and and, and he they, seems completely guileless yeah and they they just completely underestimate him and I, i've made this comparison before but uh, if you're a fan of doctor who peter falk's columbo is like the patrick troughton doctor yeah, okay. Is that the Patrick Troughton Doctor, and the Doctor in general, I think with the exception of maybe John Pertwee, the Doctor is not an impressive figure on the first take. That yeah. he, he makes a bad first impression. The, your first thought with all these people that he's rescuing is, who the hell is this guy? Why is he bossing people around? You know, like, what what is the deal with this guy, with this weirdo in the in the weird suit? And slowly you go, no, this guy's a fucking genius. And that's that's a theme in, in, in Columbo, is that at the beginning, it, what you saw in this episode, at the beginning, Ken is completely dismissive of this homicide detective who's obviously an idiot. So he's, he's sandbagging him with books and stuff like that. And then he gets, as the, sh- as the episode progresses, he goes from just like being dismissive to being vaguely annoyed. Mm-hmm. And then when you get to the third act and it's now Columbo on the attack, to, at the end of it, uh, Ken's not angry at no. uh, Columbo. He no, he doesn't try to pull a gun and run away or anything. There's, there's yeah. respect. Yeah. Now, in some episodes, that respect turns into this guy's now a threat. I'm going to try and kill him. That yeah. that's a trope that get used, especially later on in Columbo. But uh, I don't think Columbo ever pulls a gun in any episode of the series. He specifically like it's a, it's part of his. It, it's so the thing about about Columbo is they. They were so fast and loose with his personal history and his his character development that they basically made it a character trait that he just lies about who he is all the time. But there were certain aspects of his character, like were basically just like affectations that he adopted for his show, and that's basically what the character was. Columbo's played by Peter Falk. Uh, Columbo has a coat. Columbo <laughs> is is that never uses a gun and is actually shit at guns and and at one point might i remember one episode where he was might have lost his job because he wasn't up on his uh on his on his gun practice hmm. 
uh, you know, like that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, he never uses a gun, and in fact, he doesn't care for them very much. They're, they're it's downtown. Yeah, he he shows right. up and acts so non-threatening and so inept that they just let him in. Yeah, he never has to threaten people. And again, you mentioned the question of of politeness versus um, fear, where you're like. Okay. Well, this guy's going to show up. He's going to compliment me. I treat him like I treat an annoying fan who sees me at the mall. Yeah. And then I just kind of shoo him away and he can go back to dealing with that dead end that I sent him on and ha ha ha. And that's what I love is that you can see this guy always, always sneak in under the radar. And there's these little, little tells that he gives where the guy goes like, wait, what? Oh, it's nothing. This guy doesn't. This guy's like you said. He doesn't do the follow up. Yeah, right. The follow up is the point where you really hammer and nail the guy down. Like he plays dumb so convincingly. And like you said, if this is the first time you see Columbo, you might think this is Clouseau. You might think that this is a guy who's going to bumble into this guy, and this guy's going to be so annoyed that he exasperatingly screams a confession out at the end. Like in this in this particular episode, when it finally came to the to the end where he where he confronts the killer, it was like just, it was literally out of nowhere. Yeah. He, he went from literally eh, with, with, with Ken. He's like literally going, oh, God, this is a really nice house. Oh man, you, you this stuff must cost a lot of money. He goes from that literally on a dime to you did it and i know you did it and here's how i know you did it and da, 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 da. i mean at this point you know he's on that because at that point he's already talked to the to um uh joanne saying i need evidence and i need it from you so like you know he's shown his hand a little bit but he the only thing he said is uh I need. I don't have any hard evidence. He totally admits that he doesn't have hard evidence to Joanne. All circumstantial. And it's all circumstantial, so I need you to provide it for me. So Columbo episodes, at their best, and later on when they got a little, when it got a little soft and, and stuff like that, this started falling by the wayside. But Columbo is a mystery, but it's not a mystery in the standard sense because you know what happened. You know who the. You know who the the. You know who's going to be caught. You know what the crime is. You know how the crime went down. You know all of the details. The only thing you don't know, the mystery is what the heck is going on in Columbo's head. Yeah. What does he know? What does he not know? How is he connecting them? I'd really like to look at his notes. Like, that's the mystery of the show. I, I suddenly had a weird connection. That, um, you remember that episode of Deep Space Nine? Oh, yes. Romulan crime fiction. Or Cardassian. Or Cardassian crime fiction. That, uh, yeah. There's a whole thing with um, Bashir, and, Dr. Bashir and Garrick are exchanging I, cultural I, I artifacts. The exact same thought at the same time you yes. did too yes i did where it, the mystery <laughs> the, he lives in a uh, garrick of course a cardassian lives in an oppressive fascist state and the mystery novels are not about who done it because the guy's always guilty right the question is the mystery is how guilty is he <laughs> so Columbo's kind of yep. a cardassian mystery in yeah. that sense it is I'm sorry, I didn't no, mean to totally it's, it's step great. on that from you. No, it's so great, because it did occur to me where I was like, yeah, it's, a, it's about, you know what the, who is guilty. The fun is is finding out how the prosecutor is going to prove the case, and in that in this case, the prosecutor is Cardassian Colombo. Well, there, <laughs> there is an aspect to this that I, I don't think I can really do justice for, which is we've talked about how great Colombo is, because Colombo is, is, I mean, the whole Colombo thing is it's a franchise where they can have special guests who get to act their guts out because they're the target of attention and you get to have guest directors and guest writers like several different uh several different mystery series cop series have been turned into episodes of Columbo yeah. where they just filed off the serial numbers and stuff like that hmm. um what's special about this particular episode that we haven't really talked about yet because and frankly I don't know I'm not really a film guy by any means, is is who directed it. Yeah. Steven yeah. Spielberg. Uh, the only thing that I noticed that really stood out to me is because I'm an audio guy, is the reverb typewriter and the theme song. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. I'm yeah. like, oh, that's clever. Well, they, they do have the... He does actually have an a proto proto version of the Spielberg Warner, the the uh, the sh- the one shot that is not a cutaway where you you have a camera move and you basically are framing two, three, or four, what would be two, three, or four different shots for uh, for another filmmaker, but instead you just find a clever way to keep all that action and all of that movement in the same shot. And I believe the first shot in the office is this is a Spielberg Warner. Yeah, um, there are some. 
you know, of course, a lot of it is is too is like dependent on the cinematographer, and I don't, I didn't even grok who uh, was the cinematographer for this. There's a lot of this that looks like TV, old TV framing, yeah, of especially two characters in there, and that you know, characters on TV. Now that we're all in widescreen televisions, we forget that. Actors, if two actors had to be in a shot, especially if it was close, their faces are like literally right next to each other. Yeah. And it would be really uncomfortable in real life if you talk that way if you talk that way to someone. But in a television show, the magic of TV is that like you don't even get it. Yeah, so I there's really, a lot of like really unspielbergy squashed faces squashed in the frame to get that two shot mm-hmm. that you just would not see in a Spielberg movie. Because it's it felt like TV movie to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I, and so I didn't you, know if like the Spielbergianness shown through. Have you at guys all. either of you seen did you see the duel? Did you see the duel? Yeah. So the duel was his. That was the next project he did right after right. this, where they were like, "Dude, you're too good for episodes of TV show. Make a TV movie." Yeah. So he basically made like a, a thriller, a, a thriller about a guy being chased down by a malevolent uh, trucker, and it has the same sort of loose feel. There is that. Uh, I just said there's so much talking in this, and Spielberg is so good about the showing, not telling. That in some ways, this doesn't benefit all that much from what Spielberg would later be known for in his filmmaking because there's just a lot of these people are standing around in a room and talking. Right. But then Which is also, the strength of the show. It's just not his particular strength. It's hard to be, you know, again, TV, especially for a very long time, is not, it's a writer's medium. It's not a director's medium. Right. And especially if you have an established character, um, well, he wasn't established yet. This is the first regular episode of yeah, Columbo. Yeah, this is, this is the third time anyone's seen the character, I think, right? But he's he's setting up a, a formula okay. that would become Columbo. And the beautiful thing about the Columbo formula is because the killer is the main character, you can change a lot about episode to episode. Yeah. Uh, the, the main character is the lead one, but there's still a formula. There's still a structure to, you know, as we talked about um Guy seems to bumble around and is slowly, to the audience and to the killer, revealed to be a genius who just drops a net on him. Um, you have a lot less freedom in a structure like that to do crazy things in television. Like, uh, if I came on to direct an episode of, like, Law & Order SVU, it's not going to suddenly be a Kubrick film. No. It's it's still going to be an episode of SVU. I have to work within that framework. It's kind of like when you do an episode of Doctor Who or you do an episode of anything that's established that has a fan base, it has characters that are already sort of kind of created there. You kind of work within it. I don't know. I mean, like the Gaiman episodes of modern Doctor Who are really different beasts from yeah. From that, standard Doctor Who. That's true, and I mean, you can. But break, that's a writer. That's so, a writer. You yeah. can you can break the formula sometimes, and like like Blink is a different Doctor Who episode, right? So you can do it occasionally, but you don't do it all the time. I was thinking because the scene where the vi- the victor no 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 uh, the witness is murdered, mm-hmm. uh, like the 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 shooting like the cinematography there. I'm like if if we're gonna see. Spielbergianism. Uh, this is this is where we would see. Yeah, it. it's pretty. Cl- I would say pretty close. That that crane shot above the boat when he's disposing of the body and trying to find a clever, also a clever way to see you to seal up uh, a plausible deniability of her being drunk and fallen in the river. Right. Um, but I I could it could see there, but it was pretty few and far between. Okay. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And the silent scream when he comes at her with the bottle and it's a POV shot. Yeah. I was yeah. I was so ready to cover my ears. I was like, oh god, screaming. I hate. It. Okay. Oh. And you can nice. sort of yeah. yeah. You just go oh, and it sort of like takes the the graphic violence away from it, but yeah. keeps it horrifying. And also, it makes you the killer in that shot. It's kind of like yeah. the beginning of hmm. Halloween, where you're the one stabbing like, Michael Myers' sister. <laughs> it's like no, you're culpable. You've been following this son of a bitch. You're gonna kill her too. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of enjoy that. Um, so yeah, I think I can see how they're like, yeah, this Spielberg guy. We're not gonna. We're not going to use him on television because he could have directed a thousand episodes of Columbo. Um, you know what's kind of weird? There's the other comparison I can make with Columbo as as far as the formula goes. It's a bit like Sherlock mm-hmm. in the sense yeah. that the episodes with commercials, this would have been about 90 minutes. And uh, it was part of like the Wednesday, Wednesday NBC mystery movie. Right. So every week there'd be a rotation of these returning characters. So Columbo episodes would come out once a month and in that month you get one basically Columbo movie and then you wouldn't see him again until the next month it'd rotate through these three or four different other mystery characters and because of that the seasons of Columbo were only like eight at the most Mm -hmm. five on average five episodes a year so it is kind of weirdly British in the sense that they're (laughs) 
<laughs> isn't a lot of episodes of Columbo. You, right. you can browse through it. And this episode, by the way, too, is on uh, on YouTube streaming. Right, yeah. By oh, the yeah. rights holder. Right, that's great. Um, which is what I think. When, when I saw that, I'm like, hmm, this is just some jerk off who, or comrade, I suppose, who uploaded like half of Columbo so we can watch it. Yay. And then you look at the, oh, it's the official Columbo seal yeah that's the channel and i'm like oh that's cool i mean that's how you're gonna get new people into columbo yeah, by the absolutely. way this, this episode has like a million uh streams well that's good and i'm good i'm good because yeah. i want people to discover columbo so i guess that gets us to our our final question is uh columbo worth your time i mean it being the very first time that i'd seen it i was uh i didn't actually i didn't actually know the conceit of the columbo story uh, as someone who's watched more law, more Law and Order than I probably a human being should have in my lifetime, um, it is nice to have seen, like I said, like a an inversion on a procedural. I think it was pretty clever, and despite the fact that it's you know it's maybe over talky, like I think it's a little more heavily talky because that's the the meat and potatoes of Columbo. Like it's very entertaining. It's not boring. It doesn't drag. It's very. It moves at a fast clip, for sure. Yeah, uh, from my perspective. Um, like I said, it wasn't so much that I, I watched a lot of Columbo, like I waited for Columbo to come out and then I would watch an episode. It was just part of the, the media atmosphere in which I breathe, that I breathed living with my father. Again, I cannot stress this enough. A man who would stand and put his hand over his heart for the HBO theme song. <laughs> God this bless is, you, sir. Yeah. This is how important TV was in my household. And, and when I was... When I became an adult and I moved out, I left TV behind, you know, and so I went from having all that stuff around me to having none of that around me. And I've never I've never really gotten back to that level of media consumption. I've always been very I, since then. I've always been very particular about my media consumption and Columbo. It is TV. It's TV at its guest hostiest. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. Uh, if you're looking for. Like the just amazing modern television you get these days through streaming services and like HBO. This is not it. All of the stuff, all the jokes that we make about how terrible uh, television media is, uh, can be had within the Columbo franchise. Uh, it, it it seems to me. I will amend it. I will say that free on YouTube is the right price for Columbo. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You but know what I mean. The other side of that is I. What was shocking to me is is what came flooding back to me as I was watching this episode, which I have to admit is the first episode of Columbo I've probably watched in at least fifteen years. Is um, is just how much of my personality is based off of this. <laughs> uh, I. My fascination for long coats, my, for long trench coats and sure. raincoats, comes from Columbo. Oh wow! Uh, oh, my wow. Peter, Peter Falk fashion icon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yep. I I like that look. I like that it puts people off. I like that that um, I've I undersell my myself a lot. You know, I play dumb a lot, and I try to I try to 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 insinuate myself with people uh, by pretending that I don't know as much as I do. Like with creationists, like I let creationists talk all day about how many degrees they have. I let them as, and they're like, well, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I'm a high school dropout. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've literally done that. That's actually kind of how I got my reputation for asking atheists and how I built built my position there was like we would go to, to Seattle skeptics and they had a bunch of creationists and I ended up sitting across the uh, across the way from one. And and he's like, I'm this guy. I have these many degrees. And, da, 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 da. and I'm like, Where are you? I work on. I work on computers and I'm a, 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 a high school dropout. And he's like, oh, really? And so he holds forth. <laughs> I just suddenly realized that he's going to hand you that giant pile of books. Yeah, that's what he did. He, he's like, he's just, he, like, I let him just talk all throughout dinner. And, uh, and for how that ended up, it, it's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit self-aggrandizing <laughs> for me to say, but when Q&A time came... Oh, you had just I, one more question? I had one more question, <laughs> and I sort of murdered him. Uh, <laughs> and, and that I got, you know, uh, that, that I probably got from Columbo more than anything else. Were you Columbo LARPing there? Is that what was happening? I think so. <laughs> yes. I have actually Columbo LARPed. I have done this. Oh. Um, <laughs> Everybody thought I was playing Fox Mulder. I was really playing Columbo. Um, <laughs> Better investigator. Yeah, I gotta say. Yeah. Uh, and then, um, yeah, and one of the things I really like Columbo is that he misdirects by actually when he's misdirecting you by asking about like 
oh, I was thinking about vacationing here. I thought it'd be nice if we were neighbors. This is kind of nice. Or, hey, you know, I really like your books. Or like when he's saying mi- like misdirecting questions to get a sidelong glance at uh, at the person he's investigating. He's n- he never he lies by never lying. Yeah, right. he's actually in like the character is actually into all the stuff that he was talking about. He actually thought the books were good. He actually really liked the area that you know. Uh, that that he was visiting like he's super into things around him and 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 that's part of what makes the character intelligent mm-hmm. is, is a sort of a he's a very uh, not to get Dirk gently but there's sort mm-hmm. of a, a systems holistic approach sure. to the way he he approaches when when Columbo is good that's how he does it they've adapted some like actiony stuff where Columbo does like angry aggressive things and I don't mm. like those that's not really that's mm. not what it is for me he's not Magnum P.I. he's not Magnum and it, P.I. And, it, and these things Magnum P.I. should be Magnum P.I. Columbo should be Columbo yeah that's the variety that makes it so I'd, yeah I, I am, I'm gonna back what you say completely it's definitely worth watching on YouTube yeah yeah, yeah for sure it, the first two episodes there's like five episodes of Columbo on YouTube full episodes yeah I'd say the same thing it's definitely worth watching um, it's it's not binge TV no. Um, no, it's definitely something to watch every so often. It helps that they essentially are movies that you get to watch this character do that. You get to see a lot of 70s and 80s celebrities show up. You want to see Johnny Cash kill a guy and try to get away with it? Yeah. You know, just to watch him die, I suppose. Yes. <laughs> Was it a shot a man in Reno? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I would say that it's kind of cool. Like you said, it's that guest starriest. Yeah. And it's fun to watch Leonard Nimoy, or in this cave, Jack Cassidy, get to be a murderer. He gets to ham it up and be the star as the bad guy. And then this rumpled trench coat full of laundry totally eats his lunch. And it's fucking great. Yeah, because I wear a black, I wear a black uh, long coat now. Uh, because I live in a place where like heavy wool coats actually are good, but when I was a teenager, like if you go back and look at pictures of me back then, I'm wearing I'm wearing tan coats like the whole time, <laughs> and and it and it, I, I think it comes from Colombo. I really do. Even, oh man! And I'd say possibly Inspector Gadget, <laughs> but Inspector Gadget is partially based off Columbo. Yeah. So. <laughs> wow! Wow! Columbo fashion life icon. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag li- Columbo life. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mr. Sam Mulvey, thank you so much for joining us for this. And thank you for coming uh, coming down here. Uh, I'm Heck glad to yes. get you guys into Tacoma every now and again mm-hmm. to see how. How fantastic this town is, or whatever. I don't and know. If people want to find out more about you, the stuff you're working on, Ask an Atheist, your radio uh, channel, what, where should they look? Um, the best place for you to look to see what I'm actually up to is ktqa.org. Because hmm. uh, that's where all my time is right now. Um, I am uh, starting on Monday. I am officially going, I'm actually going on a vacation for about a month and a half. I'm going up the mountain again. Um, and but I'm I'm letting Becky manage the show. Uh, she's I think she's she's a great uh, host. I think you know. I mean, obviously I like Becky. I, one wonders why. Well, you married her. Yeah, oddly. Uh, but uh, <laughs> no, I I think Becky's fantastic. But she's just a really good host, and I think she's kind of better than me now. Oh, uh, you're great. Well, yeah, but I'm but like she has the hosting bit down i i just screw around nowadays um so i'm i'm working on the radio station and that's where a lot of my effort is right now so watch ktqa.org i'd ask ktqa.org we, yes. we love to know that sam is now living his dream living his life dream it's so awesome it's so weird cuz i literally wanted to run a failing radio station that's always what i wanted to do <laughs> you just got to move to like a ski town then you got the life yeah <laughs> <laughs> thank you Sam, we thank love you. having Thanks. you. And a special thank you to our episode sponsors because holy shit, guys, we've got eleven of them now. This is just exploding. It's yeah. mushrooming. Oh wow! So our episode sponsors: Larry Brunswick, Margaret King, Tim Batson, Zuri Russell, Sterling Taylor, Tom the Belgian, Gus Lindgren, Mike Seibert, Jem Newman, Brant Castilla, and Sinjin. Nice. Holy shit, thank you guys. I, I can't nice. wait till we have so many episode sponsors that we have like 40 minutes on the end of the show because we're reading them all. Yeah, that would be... We'll speed your voice up really really fast. Oh, get the Micro Machine. Is that guy still alive, Micro Machines guy? Sure he is. We can probably so. pay somebody. But yes, think- he's living the fantastic, <laughs> fast-talking lifestyle that he's always deserved. 
<laughs> Let me have my head cannon. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, episode sponsors. Thank you. And if you want to become an episode sponsor and join that wonderful group of folks, then please go to our website at radioversusthemartians.com or patreon.com slash radioversusthemartians. Hey, folks, even a dollar a month gets you access to really cool exclusive episodes. And come on, help us out. It does. Please. It, I, you really should. It does help. I can, uh, yeah. You, Thank you. Go. Do. 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 Do I, loud. I can be more forceful because I'm not the one getting. Uh, I'm not the one getting the money, so I don't have to feel weird about it. Give them money. <laughs> Thank you, Sam. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Radio versus the Martians is hosted by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. This podcast is recorded in beautiful Valverde in Seattle, Washington. Our chief engineer is Casey Doran, and our editor is Mike Gillis. Our original theme music is written and performed by James Wetzel. Special thanks to Sam Mulvey, Rob Kelly, James Wetzel, Paul Rue, Tobias Panshin, Scott Kramer, Kyle Hepworth, and Todd Maxfield Matsumoto. Please take the time to rate and review our show on iTunes and Stitcher, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please consider becoming one of our Patreon subscribers. Even just a dollar a month gives you access to exclusive episodes. And you can always find us online at RadioVersusTheMartians.com. What can I do for you? Well, I brought back your books. Well, that's fine. Just put them over there on the table. Yeah. Uh, sure, I wanted to tell you how much I enjoyed them. I think they're the most terrific. Boy, I want to... And... Oh, listen, I'll come back. I'll make two trips on this. But the, the lady detective, what a character. What a brain. And what logic, the way she figures it out. Lieutenant, I'd love to sit down and discuss literature with you, but I was on my way out. Oh. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to bother you. Uh, you going someplace special? Yes, as a matter of fact, I'm on my way down to my cabin for a rest. Would you like an itinerary? Hey, I'm sorry. I'm making a pest of myself. No. Yes, yes, I am. I know it's because I keep asking these questions, but I'll tell you, I can't help myself. It's a habit.